Sir. Anyhow, we are going to be looking at the book of Philemon today. I tried a bunch of message titles for this. The message title today is called Let's Turn the World Upside Down. <laughs> and Greg did a great job. I think the, the uh, communion posture really will work together with what we're talking about today. Having your life completely viewed through the lens of the fact that God came to earth and was tortured to death and then came back from the grave and now is in charge of everything. That's right. And um, I appreciated the arm waving. <laughs> Sometimes replicate, imitated, never replicated. You know, that's right. But now I need to do like a new tag body movement on the stage. So good. But we're going to be looking at the book of Philemon. And this is the situation. So a lot of, like Greg said, a lot of our New Testament numerically, almost half of the books we call them, though a lot of the books are just these letters that were written, were written by a particular person named Paul. And he was a church persecutor, a Jew, who thought one of the worst things that was happening to the Jewish faith of his time was that these people were hearing about this guy named Jesus, who had been killed under the curse of God through crucifixion. But they were starting to go around saying, no, he's still alive, and he's the Messiah, and we should believe in him. And this, this, this cult was spreading. And he uh, was really zealous for the traditions of his father and for his culture, and so he wanted to put a stop to it. And he would you know, be happy when Christians got killed. And he was actually traveling around arresting Jews turned Christians and hauling them back to Jerusalem to face punishment. And Jesus met him and confronted him and transformed him and, inf- and informed him that Paul was going to spend the rest of his life hurting for Jesus. And so what's going on here is that Paul knew a guy named um, Philemon who was a wealthier person who had come to faith in Jesus. And Philemon had slaves, as most wealthy did people did back in the first century. In fact, slave owning was one of the main ways you preserved wealth when you were becoming rich. The uh, possession and control of people. Sometimes coin. Uh, salt was really popular back then as a way of paying people. That's where we get our word salary from. That sal word is like you, the people would get paid in sea salt because it was so useful and easily traded as these Roman soldiers would transfer around. Land was a good thing, but most of, or a big part of human wealth was in actually, literally, human wealth. And often what would happen, like I, um, I heard during Alexander the Great's time that happened maybe a 100, 200 years before Jesus or something like that, he, was, he, was, he gets the title The Great because he traveled farther than anyone else in the world winning battles. And typically what would happen is he would kill a third of the people and enslave a third of the people and then leave a third of the people to be conquered. But you do that long enough and you have a lot of people who are slaves. And people en- kind of estimate that they're in Rome during the time of Jesus, during the time of Paul, somewhere around like 30 to 50% of the city would have been slaves. And the interesting thing is, that I think is interesting, is that because a lot of those slaves came from the war tours of Julius Caesar going north into Europe, when you meet slaves in the Bible, they're the white people. And Philemon would have been like a browner person, 
most likely, as like a Mediterranean type person. Paul was definitely brown. But the slaves in the New Testament times were the people from England, what we would call England or Britain or France or whatever. Those are the, the white people. So things change over time. But when we're talking about Onesimus here, very likely his, uh, his heritage was from Europe or north of Europe. Weird. So anyhow, here's Paul, and Paul's... One of the ways he knew he was doing a good job preaching Jesus was that he was imprisoned again. Because when you're successfully preaching Jesus, it undermines local culture. It undermines the systems of sin and idolatry and devil worship that people have in their culture. And when they start coming to Jesus, it destabilizes the cities or the countries where people are turning to faith. And then the people in power who actually like those systems of idolatry and saint worshipers and own the prisons and the guards and the soldiers. They like, shut up, <laughs> get in my cell. And so Paul is again in prison for Jesus. And spontaneously, Onesimus, who was a slave of Philemon, ends up connected with Paul. He's run away from home, run away from Philemon, and he comes to Jesus. He gets saved. He meets Paul, not a believer, and he becomes a believer. And now he's getting sent back to Philemon. Put that in your historical theological pipe and smoke it. And our letter that we have is a letter that Onesimus has brought with some other believers to Philemon, Paul pleading for a supernatural, spirit-filled, Christ-like response to the situation of a runaway slave being brought back to his master. Does that make sense? Raise your hand if it feels like I've helped you with context. Okay, I got 20 people, so now I'm really nervous. But (laughs) time constraints bind me, and on we go. Great thing about this letter, it's super short, so we're going to read the whole thing. How many of you have read a whole book of the Bible recently? Put up your hands. Not that many. Guess what? You'll get that done today. Okay. Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, or Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Appia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Guess what Vince is often advocating for? He's advocating for churches in the house. Good. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. He's talking to the slave owner Philemon. Because I heard of your, hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective in the, of the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So this is good. I think Paul's being totally genuine here, but he's also reminding Philemon that the thing that makes Christians happy, especially Christian leaders, is seeing other people live out true faith and caring for others. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, so he said, I could, as an apostle of Jesus, just tell you what to do, Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. 
I, Paul, an old man, maybe a bit of sympathy pulling there, and now a prisoner also from, for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So he's talking about that, that moment where Onesimus came to the Lord, and he didn't just come to the Lord, he came to the family of Paul. Then he says, formerly he was useless to you, because I think his name means useful. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart that I would, sorry, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion. I don't want to control you. I want to give you an opportunity End of my little comment there, but of your own accord. Verse 15. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that he might, you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. So a lot of people think that when Onesimus ran away from home, he probably robbed Philemon when he left. You know, he needed some traveling cash, so he stole some stuff and sold some stuff. Verse 19, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, my brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confidence of your obedience, I write you knowing that you will do even more than I say. And then just to put a little exclamation mark on the request. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I'm hoping that through your prayers I may be graciously given to you. Meaning I'm going to show up and see how this turns out. Epaphras, my brother, prisoner in in Christ Jesus, sends greeting to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. So the scenario is a runaway slave meets Paul and gets saved and is sent back with a letter asking for the previous owner, who also is a believer in Jesus, to respond in a certain way, particularly with a heart response of love and forgiveness for the sake of Christ and adoption and most likely also um, emancipation or setting him free. Good? So I want to look at this through three kind of personal lenses here. And again, the big idea is, I'll just simplify it to this. This was not normal. This is not normal Greco-Roman culture. This is not how things worked. How things worked back then is if your slave ran away and he got caught, there were actually people whose whole job was to go and catch runaway slaves and then kind of ask for money for bringing them back. And when they got caught, they needed to be taught an example of, right? So the other slaves don't get some uppity thoughts in their heads that they too can run away. So they needed to have, have an example made of them. And it could be anything, because when you're a slave, you don't have any rights. There's no, like, workman's compensation board. <laughs> There's no employment standards. It could involve beatings. It could involve uh, punishment, imprisonment, and even up to crucifixion. 
Crucifixion was a punishment reserved for insurrectionists, so people who fought against the government, and for runaway slaves. It was meant to be the most degrading and demeaning way of death possible in that world. And Onesimus technically could go back to Philemon and find himself being crucified. So, let's just look at Paul for a second. I just, can I just, uh, sorry, one more thing before we get to Paul. We are in this time as a church, we're praying, God, what do you want us to do about being so full? We want to give time for God to talk to us, give us ideas. If you get in dreams or prophetic words or ideas, you can communicate with the leadership and we can try to pull this all together and hear the Lord together. But one thing, I just want to share this on my heart, which I don't think will spoil the process, is this. When you have a time to pray like this, one of the best parts of it is just going back to the Lord and saying, who have you called us to be? Not just to do, but to be. Because the do comes from the be. The do is an expression of the be. And I could be wrong, but I feel like the B that God is re-emphasizing for me is twofold. Number one, be humble. And number two, be genuinely loving. This is who we are. We're meant to be super humble and actually try to genuinely love people. And I totally see this coming through the Apostle Paul. He is in prison with zero sign of belly aching, whining, self pitying, fretting, moaning, losering, or any other more profanity laden words about being a self-pity suckfest. He is breaking normal through Jesus. People in prison for, <laughs> for doing good should be sitting around feeling sorry for themselves and writing letters, somebody get me out of here! We're going to make it through this. <laughs> and I just look at this, this spirit-filled pastor evangelizing from the cell, getting Onesimus to Jesus, and then with his letter that he's going to send to one of the richest people he knows, who might even have pull or strings or cash to get him out of there, he is not asking for anything other than the life of the one he loves. Because when your God has hung on a cross till dead, and that was half of the most powerful thing that's ever happened in human history, followed by a dead man coming back to life forever, you have freedom in the mind to begin to think prison could be the place where some of the best work I ever do will happen. 
Because you're not imprisoned to normal as a Christian. You're as free as God is working through you. And so if prison is the place where the power of God will rest on you, that's where you want to be. Because Jesus broke the world and turned it upside down. Prisoners do not save slaves. They save their own skin. Unless you're already saved in Jesus. And then it's it's more complicated. Not that Paul stayed in there and he got out when he could. But he's, he, he's living this life. Jesus broke the world the way it works. Jesus broke the world the way it works when it's dominated by human sin and the principalities and powers of this age which want to corrupt our thoughts and control our responses. And when Jesus came to the world... God strategically designed his death to be the worst thing possible that could happen to a human being. The religious leaders, the political leaders, ganged up together to give him a mock trial and a false conviction and to kill him with the most painful way possible that his own word, God's own word said, is literally being cursed by the Father. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a cross till dead. It was designed to be as powerful as humans and Satan can be so that by suffering underneath it and destroying it and coming back from the dead with everlasting life, we learn that the world's ways are broken and that Jesus' life is all-powerful. So you know I'm weird and it's your own fault for choosing to come to church here that you're about to hear what I'm going to say. I'm happy that all this Davos and World Economic Forum stuff is coming to light. Bunch of pervy control freaks gathering together where hopefully one day a bomb will go off and take them all out in one shot. (laughs) However, Christian, don't you dare be resentful about one world governments and global orders. Because Jesus is the one world governor who is establishing a global order across the entire planet. The problem is that it's a bunch of unbelievers who want to pretend to be helping people by stopping you from driving your car while they participate in elitist human trafficking. They're a bunch of fake abusers and murderers and they are just no good. However, we are no better apart from Christ. One finger out, three fingers back. Watch yourself. I'm all for one world governments. One in particular. (laughs) Thank you. 
When Jesus rose from the grave, he went from the grave and wandered around for a bit, proving he was alive, and now he sits on the throne of heaven, ruling over everything until the Father puts all the nations of the world under his feet, and it will happen, and no one can stop it, no matter what they do. They cannot stop Christ from ruling, because the Father has said, I will reward you for your humility by granting you ultimate power over all things, and at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you get there by humility. You get there by humility. And the reason they look so gross to us is that they're so proud and they can't see it. But we don't see our pride either. Humility, 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 or hell. Jesus saved the world through humility and every single believer is called to follow him down that painful path. You want to go up? You got to go down. But Paul gets this. So he's down and he's staying down. And he saves this guy's life and writes another letter that becomes or is is and then is acknowledged as the living words of God himself. What an unbelievable honor to write the words of the Spirit of God because he's not seeing the world the way everybody else does, but is viewing everything through the power of the cross and Christ and Christ crucified for us. So for me, I just, this is what all I want out of life. I want my broken brain fixed to see everything through Jesus. There isn't one trouble that can come into my life that isn't an opportunity for unlimited power if I will just say yes to the pain that comes with it with eyes fixed on the one who was dead and now lives and shall reign forevermore. And it's ten times more true for you. I'm just some loser pastor, and so I need to get... My life needs to be harder. I said loser pastor. Now someone's going to come afterwards and say, you're not a loser and we love you. And that's okay. I'm not emotionally involved in calling myself names. But I do have a title, which means my life should be harder than yours. And I believe, because in one sense you're lower, (laughs) at least you're not on this stage, God's with you more. Because there's more grace for the lowly. So just, (laughs) this all makes sense in my head, and I'll explain it someday. (laughs) Number two, let's look at Onesimus, the runaway slave. How is the world supposed to work for Onesimus? Well, we kind of know because we know about the story of Spartacus. Anybody heard of Spartacus before? Yeah. No, I'm Spartacus. What happens to Spartacus? Well, he gets crucified. You're Spartacus. You. You are Spartacus. I found Spartacus. Caesar. He's over there. That was a great commercial about the Pepsi can. It's found a Pepsi can. It's got the name Spartacus on it. I'm Spartacus. No, I'm Spartacus. It was a joke. 
normal for Onesimus is to be, be grumbly, to feel defeated, to be underneath the shame of being a slave, and to be looking for an opportunity to feel hurt and then run away and then try to gain his own freedom by escaping or doing something else. And if you need to, maybe even some like murder fantasies of killing your master, like Spartacus. Because this all happened after Spartacus. People, they had a few slave revolts in Roman history. There was the first one and the second one. Spartacus was the biggest one where all these like slaves got together and they were all these like, what were those guys in the arena called? The gladiators, thank you. It's really good. The gladiators. So they were all trained killing machines and they managed to get out and become trained killing machines in the fields and they killed a bunch of people. And this was, this is it. This is a slave's dream. Kill the master. Get some ladies. Run off to your freedom. Make a great movie. Have a movie made about you 2,000 years later, though. It doesn't you no good. Right? Isn't that how the world works? Isn't that how it's supposed to work? So here, Onesimus is halfway there. He's got his freedom. He's run away. He's on the lamb. And somewhere along the lines, he runs into Paul and dies to self and is born again to God and finds himself going back to his old master, knowing that any kind of punishment may await him there. And you just think, like, what do you think is going on in his head while this letter's been handed over? Can you imagine? Like, you know the law. You have no rights. You know that if Philemon's in a bad mood, it could be bad for a long time. You could die. Anybody wondering, why did I listen to that Paul? He's such an idiot. What has he done to me? What has he done to me? Is that a possible emotional reaction? Why am I here? I could have just left. I could have just said, I got Jesus. I'm free. Freedom means free. You can't send me home. Freedom means free. Free. I'm free. I'm free. I want to stay free. I want to stay free. Don't send me home. I'm free. In a worldly way, yes, but no. And I don't know for sure, but I think I know, like Paul and Onesimus must have had more than a few conversations before he went back. Don't you think? And I kind of have a sense of how that conversation went because we actually have a letter that Paul sent to the churches in the area where Onesimus was heading back to. It's from Colossians. And he says this in chapter 3, verse 22. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So you can almost imagine that Paul and Onesimus had a talk one time and they're processing through this and maybe Onesimus is kicking back against the go to go back and, and be on mission for Christ, going back to his past. And you almost wonder if Paul just sat him down one day, you know, Onesimus, I need to talk to you. Because I know you, you, you think you, you were in a good way getting out of there. But... I kind of know what your problem is that God wants to deal with in your life. 
Oh, yeah, you think you know. Yeah. You know what the problem with you was in this mess? You were an angry manipulator. What you did each day, you just did for yourself. You know, hide a little wrongdoing here, hide a little wrongdoing there, pretend to be obedient, but your heart's hard. I think the main issue in your life is you never genuinely loved Philemon. Everything wrong you've ever done has come from that. So when you go back, I don't want you to be a people pleaser. I don't want you to do it for eye service. I don't want you to pretend to be good when people are watching and then do whatever you want when no one's watching. I don't want you to live for yourself anymore. I want you to go back for Jesus. And I want you to go back and you treat Philemon like he is Jesus on earth. Because you know now that every good work you do, Jesus is going to reward you. Both in this life, often, and forever for sure. You're dead, you're dead in Isthmus. You've died on the cross with Jesus. Now it's just Jesus living in you. What would Jesus do? He'd go back. And he'd try to show this guy what love looks like. Well, what if he kills me? Who's your God now? What happened when they killed him? It'll be okay. That's big faith. That's big correction. That's like, like shot through the heart. And so offensive. And yet, because Onesimus submitted to Jesus and submitted to Paul and went home to submit to his master, he is 2,000 years later being presented to you right now as a hero of the faith by me, as his reward. Not completely nameless like millions of other slaves from those generations, named by God in the church until Jesus returns as a hero of the faith for his reward. Put that in your theological pipe and smoke it. So many of us, God bless us, half believing Jesus, half believing the world are going to end up living lives that are mostly irrelevant in the kingdom. You and I don't have to go out like that. So let's look at Philemon for a sec. Thanks for everybody. You're being wonderful. I've just realized that the number on the right is not the time. I'm just, why is it still 118? But whatever. I will try to be faithful. Philemon, the Christian master, he's the one the letter is actually written to. And you can tell by the letter that Paul is somewhat concerned about Philemon's response. If he responds the way his culture dictates, he is going to act a little bit more like Satan and a little bit less like Christ to this guy. And it isn't like there isn't a ton of cultural pressure. Philemon is in a tight-knit community. In those days, everybody knows everybody. It's like when you go to a Pistons game and you're like, you're here, you're here, you're here, you're here. What are you doing here? I got free tickets. He's in an exclusive class of slave owners who are the real people. Slaves are the subhumans. He's the real human. And he's not even a free man. There was a class of person that's the free man, someone who used to be a slave, and now they're free, and they're okay. 
But he's an owner. He's a real person. He has status. He counts. He matters. And the last thing you do to maintain your status and maintain how the people in your owner club look at you is welcome back a runaway slave and say, my brother. If you want to become an outcast, if you want to become a threat to how the society works, if you want to be the kind of person that people don't invite to their party anymore, what you do is you have a runaway slave who has destabilized their entire cultural framework by not submitting, runs away, and he comes back and you say, totally forgiven, you're my brother. You're free, you can leave if you want to, but if you stay, you're going to be a family member now. Think of the call for social suicide that Paul is calling this guy to. Not only that, he might just be like hurt at being robbed and angry. He took my grandmother's ashes. I just, I don't know why I said that. But he might have been genuinely wounded and wronged by how things went down there. And not only have the power, but also have a significant grievance. We are so dangerous when we have a valid grievance. Do you, you get Paul, Paul pleading there for love? Christians are so dangerous when we have a valid grievance against people. It's so easy for us to get it wrong when we're right. And so Paul's just laboring. Philemon, you've done great before. You do refresh the saints. I love you. We are partners. We work together. I led you to the Lord. Don't forget Jesus. And by the way, I love this guy. He's my son. However you treat him, you're going to be treating me. And don't forget that we have the name of Jesus hovering over all three of us. And please do something to show everyone that Jesus is real. You hear that heart there? And yes, it's going to cost you. And yes, you're going to look like a loser. And yes, this isn't going to make sense. But think of the power of God alive in your house when you forgive this guy. If you think forgiveness is the power of God. Philemon... Jesus turned the world upside down and now it's time for you to turn your house upside down so that you can have Christ. Do you get why I want to stop and pray before we make changes at the church? (laughs) We're supposed to be in like a constant state of turning the world upside down as Christians. Of going like, that's a good way, but what if we crucified it? (laughs) Nobody's smiling yet. Your toes are curling a little bit. This is a great church. Calvary Church is wonderful. I love you guys. Why don't we crucify this thing and see what God does? Amen. <laughs> don't get too excited, Dave. <laughs> no, we're scared. <laughs> what if we take this church and we just hang it on a piece of wood 
And then we see what happens on the third day. When we prove to everybody, this ain't no idol. This ain't no treasure. This ain't no nothing I'm going to lose Jesus over. Don't. I got comments last time I danced. I love my marriage. (laughs) One man has one gift. Another doesn't have it. But can you can you can you feel me a little bit? We are meant to live in a constant state of having Jesus turn the world upside down so that we can see the resurrection power of God. And I just I feel for Philemon because he he's living his life, he's doing his due. He's like, I've got a good thing, got a house church, and I'm leading it, and I, I'm a leader of the house church. And then one day his runaway slave comes back, and it's kind of like, you've just wrecked every good thing, because now I have to lower myself to being family with a slave in order to keep having Jesus. Like, can you see the the, the crisis it might be for him? But Paul in prison and enjoying Christ is like, this is the life. And Onesimus, fully expecting to have anything happen to him going back, says, this is the life. And us together, loving Jesus more than life itself, reminding each other, this is the life. This is where all our life is. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up, band. Ready, ready to worship? I would like to say, based on the life of Onesimus, that I believe our conception of what slavery is in North America is totally upside down. We like to pride ourselves on believing that we have abolished slavery and we don't have it in Canada. And yet we are willing to be bound by so many things for the sake of making ourselves feel better. We don't call it slavery, we call it human trafficking, but it's still the same thing. We don't call it slavery, we call it addiction, but it's still the same thing. And yet, in Christ, all the systems, all the methods, all the, this is how it goes. you got to hit rock bottom before you could get better. Says who? Hit the cross. Hit the reality that you get to die and come back alive in Jesus. Hit the reality of who you are in Christ. Hit the reality that no matter what you've gone through or where you are right now, if you will give your life to Jesus, you could be a slave today and a biblical hero tomorrow by faith. So we're going to sing about one kind. Are we going to sing that one that we talked about? Okay. We're going to sing about one kind of slavery and the universal solution, okay? But I'm just, I'm ready to go. For Christians, there's no such thing as normal. There's just the process of death and resurrection. Let's say yes to Jesus. Amen. Amen.